Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Grief Coach. This is your host, Brooke James. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am so excited. We have with us today Tara Stroka. Tara founded Bringing Death Into Life, which is an online community and service she provides people assistance with planning for end of life in a creative way. Tara, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited. We met in person before the pandemic, which feels like forever ago. I don't really remember what real life was and meeting people. And I I think I met you and we hugged and that just seems so foreign to me right now. I know. (laughs) Um, But I'm so glad that we are doing this today. Let's get right into it. Could you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us your grief story, please? Yeah, no problem. My name is Tara Sroka, like you mentioned. My mom passed away in 2013. She was diagnosed in 2012 with stage four lung cancer. And at that point in my life, you know, I was married, had a job, you know, things were flowing and in the groove. And when a family member that close gets diagnosed with something so serious and severe, it just stops you in your tracks. And we had about a year and a half with her um, before she passed away. So we were lucky that we could, you know, have these moments and spend time with her. Some people aren't so lucky with sudden deaths and things like that. So I'm really grateful. It was a long road and a long journey seeing her get sick over the course of a year and a half and fight. And I think a lot of her fighting she did for us to stay here. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point at the end, in, she just was done. And, and I don't blame her. She fought a long fight and she went through a lot of rounds of chemo, radiation. And then it was just, it was her time. It really was. And I was glad that we could be there and a part of that journey of her transition. I was very fortunate at the time to be working at a company and they were very, very good about the situation. They they gave me the time that I needed to take off when I needed to be there. So she was in hospice for about two months. I think for the first month of hospice, mainly it was good for comfort care and palliative care. But for that last month, we were there pretty much all the time, Mm -hmm. just spending time with her and just you know, being there, even if it was just watching TV or just holding her hand. I'm thinking about it now and it's been like seven, eight years. And sometimes it's hard to recall these things. And I went through a stage where I didn't really remember a lot. It just kind of a haze. So when you ask me to tell me my grief story, it's kind of coming back in bits and pieces and blurs. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend right now who's going through something similar with their father who's transitioning. And it's been bringing up a lot of my memories and a lot of these feelings that I haven't really thought about in a while. So it's definitely coming up and coming up to the surface a lot. And I'm trying to use my experience to help her a little bit. Again, all different experiences, they're all different, but I'm trying to at least lend a voice when I can, having gone through something similar Mm -hmm. to her. Yeah. And I find that also, and I'm newer to this than you it's gonna be two years since my dad died in April Mm -hmm. but different things even like different conversations on the podcast with different guests or if someone is going through something it will bring something up for me that I haven't thought about Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how our brains do that so we can like keep going (laughs) yeah I think our brain protects us and then we don't want to think about things and then all of a sudden something will trigger it and it's like oh yeah that happened I just didn't remember it or like a song, like music to me is really a trigger. Mm -hmm. I remember when my mom was sick and when she was in the stages of dying, there was one band that I kept listening to over and over and over again. 
And anytime I hear them now, it just triggers it. It brings me back to 2013 as if it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really interesting how our brains do protect us. Yeah, I'm a song repeater. And like me too, very, very much. Drives <laughs> yeah. um, my husband insane. So yeah. Yeah. My um Spotify wrapped for the year he died. There were songs that I was listening to over and over and over again during that hospice period and right afterwards. And it just shocked me in my tracks and like I was like crying walking down the street. It's really interesting how music does that to us. Yeah. I think it's also a good soothing aspect. I really love music. I think it just brings us together. It really uplifts us. And I mean, music to me is really important. I think mm-hmm. it helps me focus and kind of drown out the noise of life. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I'm a bit important to music also for, you know, healing and trying to work with grief. I also think that was a really good help for me too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a nice way to honor someone. There are definitely certain songs and albums that I don't listen to because they make me really emotional that like my dad always used to play at dinner parties he always used to play Melody Gardot I don't know if you're familiar but like the there's this opening track on one of her albums that is like gut-wrenching for me to listen to because it just I feel like he should be there and I should be in his house and all of this it's so interesting how we do that but I do also similar to you obviously find that it is soothing as well and I kind of jumped into her favorite music after she passed away. I kind of wanted to absorb like everything that was her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went on this journey of like, what bands did she like? What did she like? And just tried to listen to that, like bands and foods and all these things just to try to honor her or just try to live a little bit as, you know, trying to continue her life because she wasn't mm-hmm. here. I'm breathing and trying to like walk in her shoes and just trying to like bring her to life. So I listened to her favorite band, like her favorite band was Moody Blues. And that just really kind of integrated into our lives. And then from there, like we went to a concert or two, which I've never, I would have never have done that before if it wasn't like for her passing. She had favorite bands and I didn't really think much about it. But then after she passed, it was like, no, I want to do this as a tribute. So it was really special to go to a concert to see those like that band and to go with like her best friend who she used to go with it just was so much more meaningful so like that was another way to tie music into it as well well and bringing that creativity into how do you honor someone that's a really nice way to connect and some people might think it's so simple but it really is a way to experience something that like the person who you love who is no longer here to like be with them a little bit I agree with you. I'm really into the creative aspect. I mean, by trade, I'm an art director, so I'm very creative. So I try to do things a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. when my mom passed away and we went through all of her belongings and clothes, I kept a lot of stuff because a friend of mine was a quilter and he offered to take her clothes and make quilts of them. So we made them with some of her clothes and then some other fabric and patterns that, you know, complemented it. So now I have two quilts one that we use as our like you know our on our bed and then we also you have one on like our couch that I use daily so just being Mm -hmm. wrapped in her clothes just feels like another special way to honor her and I also took some of her t-shirts and made them into pillows that we have around the house so I tried to just not just get rid of a lot of things a lot of people do just it it hurts too much and and you know everything is different for everybody it's Mm -hmm. whatever works for you but I'm a memory keeper and a scrapbooker and I, I like to hold on to these things I feel like just having something tangible connects me to that person mm-hmm. so it's really 
important to recycle and reuse a lot of what she had that was really her and her essence. So yeah. I'm all about being creative in every aspect of end of life and you know end of life planning and just even like collecting the keepsake. Yeah, and I think that those physical objects are a really nice way to like keep a connection going with someone. Like I, my dad was really into cooking, so I have all of his cooking stuff and my sisters my brother and I we actually have a storage unit because all of us live in small apartments in New York I was like okay well I want to keep all this like really nice barware and like serving like because he loved to entertain and so like in my imaginary house like however many years from now (laughs) that like I want to be able to channel him in that and I think there's like a lot of different ways I like I I'm a keeper I like I keep everything and it's always interesting when I talk to people who are like no get rid of everything I'm like why would you do that <laughs> like yeah, and yeah. I love I yeah. the idea of the quilting though that's so beautiful yeah it was great that my head my friend had offered it I mean I know there's services and people out there who do it but yeah if you have a friend or if you know how to quilt I highly recommend it because it's just there's just something beautiful about it. It's with you all the time. It's just, you know, it keeps me warm. It's just like a tight hug as if my mom was hugging me. Mm-hmm. And it brought tears to my eyes when I got it. I mean, it took my friend a while to do it because it was an undertaking. And yeah. finally, when it came, it was just, it left me speechless. You know, it, it was gorgeous. I looked at the fabric and it made me remember some of the stuff and some of the shirts she wore, some of the clothes she wore. And it connected to memories. Like I saw a shirt that she wore to like my, Um, bridal shower that you know you just don't normally remember unless you're looking at pictures and just Mm -hmm. having that remembrance just brought that back to me those two quilts are really special objects to me yeah that's so beautiful so we can take a step back and talk about how your experience with your mom and after um, she passed what motivated you to start your business and then we can get into some of the more creative pieces that you focus on yeah I definitely can I mean it took a few years honestly to get into the business that I'm in. It was, you know, a long grief journey. Mm-hmm. And eventually a few years later, after you know, being in a better place, I realized how much I wanted to help people in this space. When I was going through everything, when my mom was sick, we didn't really talk a lot about her dying. We didn't really talk about what she wanted. She wasn't really a big talker. And I tried, you know, as a scrapbooker and memory keeper, I wanted to get to some of those juicy conversations and talk about these things. And I tried, but again, I was overwhelmed. I was in, you know, shock, fear state. You know, I knew my mom was going to die. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really have the tools at that time to really dig deep and try to approach her. And again, she was not the most chatty person. (laughs) I knew that we weren't going to go there. So I had a lot of regrets a little bit about not having certain conversations. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what she wanted. I think she talked to my dad about certain things that she wanted for her funeral, but we didn't really talk about them. And then during her funeral mass, again, we didn't know the, the priest who was giving the, the homily, the whole thing. And he said something in his words about my niece being my daughter. And It was just, we're there at her funeral service mass and we're like, what is this priest talking about? And it just made me angry a little bit. And it's just like, there's gotta be a better way to be doing funerals and memorials that are more personal. And Mm -hmm. even at her funeral, I tried to infuse, you know, some personality, she loved giraffes. So we had a giraffe floral display that we created. Mm -hmm. And I tried to do little bits of, you know, personality, things here and there that really just made it different because otherwise 
you go to funerals and they could be for anybody. It, there's nothing personal. And I tried again, that was in the beginning of this whole journey of trying to customize funerals and memorials for people. So I didn't really have the tools again for it. From there, over the, like the next few years, I realized that there was just a need for it. We need to talk about death. We need to talk about it to overcome our fears about it. We don't talk about it because we're just, we don't want to think about it because we think about, oh, if we talk about it, something bad's going to happen. Chances are probably that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I just really look back on the experiences that I had about regret and things that I wish I did differently. And I really just want to help people try to think about things now while they're young and healthy, either for themselves or for their family or their parents, because mm -hmm. death is inevitable. It's going to happen. And the more we're prepared and plan now, it's for the better, because when people are sick, it's really hard to plan and think objectively. You're thinking under, yeah. you know, duress. You're thinking in a fear state mind. You're very emotional. Like, it's better to do it now. So I went through a long journey to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Like I mentioned, I work in advertising and I needed to find more purpose after my mom passed away. And, and I think a lot of people who lose somebody super close, they kind of want more meaning in their life too. And they're like, what are we doing this for? You realize how fleeting life is and how it could go so quickly. Mm -hmm. So I, I was just really searching and I was like, what do I want to do? Like, how do, how do I want to spend the next 40, 50 years? And I finally came to realize how important end of life, the end of life space is and how much change needs to be done and we need to be doing more. So that's kind yeah. of how I came to it. It was a process, it was a long process. And I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out how to help people, what is needed and where to pivot and you know what to do. Like last year with, you know, during coronavirus, I realized the need for online memorials because we couldn't be in person for doing mm -hmm. you know, funerals and memorials in person. So I wanted to offer, you know, an online option. So I think it's, it's always going to be changing depending on the needs and also what lights me up, because if it lights me up, I'm going to be a better service to my clients and to my audience and to people I want to educate. Yeah. I get really excited and passionate when we start talking about this. So like, I know that is my real calling because I get really excited about it. I can't say I get super excited when I talk about advertising all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that so funny? And I've had so many people on the podcast and spoken to friends who have lost someone. Like loss really crystallizes that like so many things like life is fleeting and like we need to be spending our time doing things we care about, spending time with people we care about. But so many people rethink their career and their day to day after a loss. And I, it's, you know it, like, you know, you don't love it. But until you're confronted with this loss and the fragility of life, you, it's kind of, it's too scary to make a change. I'd agree with that wholeheartedly because I knew for a while before my mom was even sick, I'm like, I don't love this. It's a paycheck, it's a job, I'm good at it. I'm just, I'm doing it. It's not really, I knew there was always like, this has to be something more, but you just kind of go with the flow and just do it. And you don't really question it. Cause like you said, it's a lot to change. It's scary. Yeah. Then when you're confronted with something super big and huge in your life and you realize, okay, well, I just went through this big, huge thing that was horrible and I lived and I survived and I'm still surviving. Mm -hmm. I can make these changes. 
you know, I'm not the same person I was seven years ago. I'm so much different. Like I've come so far. I like, you don't think you can do it until you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's so cliche and it's like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I know you don't love cliches, but like, I just, I do think there is something to that. I do love cliches. I always say cliches are cliche for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so true. You kind of get to this place, like, what's the worst thing that could happen if I go try this thing that before, like, I mean, I worked in like, finance technology management consulting and I thought I had to go have the high power job and like the blowout and the blazer I hated it so much and like variety of reasons stopped working we put my dad in hospice and then that time afterwards allowed me to be like okay well what do I want to do what is exciting to me and when I started the podcast I was like god I'm gonna be like the death girl like that's cool I'm single and like kind of dating not really in coronavirus but it was during the summer this is too much information but like you don't want to be like the death girl it's like I promise I'm fun like oh, I, I don't know, know. <laughs> I have the same feeling it's just like oh I'm the death friend it's like oh right. anything that ever happens where friends need something anything related to death oh I'm the person but you know like you said though about fun you can have fun and also talk about death I am a very down-to-earth fun person and I think humor is so important and I think that's a lot of what's kept me sane in the last seven years specifically the last year I think you need to keep your sense of humor you can have fun and not be such a doubter by talking about death I think you know we need to laugh about things you know there is a time for seriousness and I think there's also time for humor humor really uplifts us and helps us it helped me so much So yeah, yeah, I I try to bring death and humor together in a holistic way. And then you get to this place when you're going through a loss, either the hospice piece after of this dark humor piece that if you get there is like very helpful, but like to the uninitiated is the first word that's coming to mind. They're like, what? (laughs) I'd, um, I'd agree with that. I think you have to go, you, when you go through it, you can see the humor and the darkness of things, but when other people who haven't experienced it and you may say something that other people who've lost people may get, but other people may, may not, they may look at you and so be it, they'll, they'll get it one day. Yeah, so if you can talk a little bit about now some of the creative ways that you have found through processing over the past seven years and in the work that you do that you inject humor, personality, and honoring the person who is being memorialized. What are some ways that you've done that, that you've really loved and that have been successful? We were talking more about like with the online space of online memorials? Online or in person. Like I think we'll go back to those soon. And there are people who are doing super, super, super small services now, but things that you've seen, I've talked about this not in a while, but like for my dad's service, we did it at the Jane Hotel which I previously had only danced on tables and couches there at like 3 a.m. And it's this like beautiful looking like your uncle's like upstate, like big living room. And it was really lovely. And we did, several people spoke. We did a slideshow that was jazz playing. He loved champagne. We had champagne. It was just like very him. And someone in our family was like, before we finalized, it's like, well, we have to do it in a church. We were like, that's not him. Like, we can't do that. 
And so just some things that you've seen over um, the time that you've been helping people with this, that you brought some personality. There's different, there's different facets to this question. So I'm going to start with my personal experience, just from people that I've helped that are in family and friends. So a family friend passed away a couple of years ago and my, my father and I were in charge of planning the funeral. And again, I was trying to do more of this. So I wanted to bring a little bit more personality to the whole experience. So I think just bringing pictures, mementos, things like that, just to decorate the space, having like things like that around the casket. Flowers also is a, are a really good way to bring personality in. He was a Marine. So we actually had this beautiful floral display that actually had the Marine Corps symbol done. And it was a really nice, beautiful touch just something simple, like you don't need to go overboard with everything needed to be personal. It can just be like a couple of things here and there. Mm -hmm. And then we also had a couple of his friends who are musicians, they played, which I thought was really lovely and just really like a nice touch that I think adds so much again, to go back to that music, you know, people think you need to have spiritual music or instrumental music. It could be simple, you know, folk music or friends and family singing together. So I think that was really, really beautiful. That was really unique to him. I think I had mentioned, again, flowers seem to be, I, I kind of gravitate toward them because you can do a lot with them. And funny enough, I don't really love flowers, oh, really? <laughs> but I'm with my mom's funeral. I talked about the giraffe sculpture that we had done with the flowers and mm -hmm. that really added extra creativity to that. And, you know, again, with photos, you know, displayed all over. And then in helping people plan, Again, I work with a lot of people who are younger, plan for the future. So they're not really carrying out their wishes right now. But we've created a lot of interesting plans for people. Like one client wants to have like a backyard garden kind of service memorial at twilight with tea light candles and have like a dinner picnic outside. And that just sounds so lovely and gorgeous. And that really summarized my client. I mean, it really spoke to her and having pictures, you know, hanging from like trees and really brings in the idea of nature. So I thought that was really clever. And then another client of mine, she definitely was different in avant-garde. And she was like, well, why don't we just do something at like a bowling alley? She's like, just something fun and different, not really having the funeral or their service there, but like having just a party. And I really liked the idea of that just something fun and playful because that really spoke to that client. And mm -hmm. I think it could be something different like that. It could be a party. It doesn't even have to be a funeral memorial. You could call it a party if you wanted to. Other ways people have been creative is just like food and drinks, having your favorite, you know, your cocktails and having like a signature name for them. I think that's really a clever idea, you know, to bring that personality into it. Mm -hmm. And then for the online memorial space, I've been working with clients and just really trying to bring in the idea of their essence in their life. And I try to create graphics that go with that as an art director and a designer I try to have like a, a personalized invitation and a welcome screen for zoom that really captures a little bit of their life so I had done one last year for a friend and just really read through her father's obituary and just got a real good sense of who he was and from there did an illustration and you know made a, a nice design so I felt like that was a really nice way to welcome people by sending out this invitation that really captured his spirit. And then when they came on to the Zoom, it just welcomed everybody and it just set the tone for what the memorial was going to be. Mm -hmm. And then again, for online memorials, I think it can be joyous. It doesn't have to be sad. 
it's all about the atmosphere and tone you want to create. So if it's poems instead of readings, or if it's music again, like something different and interesting, having family or kids involved, doing things a little bit different, it's really just about shifting the perspective of doing what we normally would do. A lot of times, like my initial thought is, well, this is what we've always done. So this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to shift my perspective and other people's perspective. Well, why? Why do we do that? Why do they need to wear a suit <laughs> when they may not have wore a suit in real life? Mm-hmm. So trying to just shift the, the mindset of how to bring uh, a creative and unique spin to things. Those are a bunch of really great ideas. I really love when you spoke about the client who is into nature and the service outside. That sounds so beautiful. Yeah, it was really a beautiful idea. And that it really summed up the client to me because it was a friend that I was working with. And when she had mentioned it again, it was like, oh, that's a great idea. I don't know if I would have thought about that because I don't know if that really spoke to me. So it's really whatever speaks to you, like what's important in your life? What are your hobbies? What are your passions? What lights you up? And those are some really good starting points to really help you plan what you want or what you don't want. And that same client's funny. You can also figure out what you don't want. Everyone's been to a funeral where they're like, I don't want that, (laughs) you know? And she was really adamant. She didn't want sunflowers. She was just like, make sure there's a note in my information that I don't want sunflowers. I'm like, okay, we'll note it and we can make a plan for the future that no sunflowers. So Mm -hmm. it's funny how people are very adamant about what they don't want. Sometimes that's easier to start there and then work backwards. Start with what you don't want, and then we can get to what you do want. I think it's easier to work that way because a lot of times we don't know what we want until we start talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I have found that a lot. So we can switch gears a little bit. I would love when we spoke about the episode about if there was anything, if you recall or have seen in any of your work that I love to talk about this because I think it's really helpful for the grief adjacent of, was there anything that was particularly helpful after or while your mom was sick or anything that people thought was so helpful and you were just like, this isn't it. Like, cause I think that we can do better. We were talking at the beginning of the episode that like so many people don't know how to talk about death. So is there anything? in your experience that you would share in that space? I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I, I mentioned like that foggy grief cloud and yeah. I was trying to rack my brain just about this question. And I realized there was a lot of things that were helpful, some not so helpful, but I think the most important thing helpful wise was just finding a good support system. Mm-hmm. I'm an only child. So having gone through this as an only child was challenging. My husband was a, my rock. He was more or less like my sibling going through it with me. So I really had a good network of friends and family that really helped. Having a therapist, having a support group, I found was really, really helpful. I found a support group that was for children who had lost their parents. In the first year or two, it was really comforting to hear about other people going through the same thing. I think when you hear similar stories or just how you can connect and they get you, they understand you. They're part of this club that we never wanted to be in. So I think that was super important and really, really key. There were some times where there was friends who didn't know what to say and didn't know what to do, but they said something. And I think that made the difference, even if it was just 
cliche or I'm here or just something, just the fact that they acknowledged it. I had some friends who didn't say a thing and I think that was more harmful than anything else. And again, maybe they had their own issues with death and they didn't want to talk about it. I see that now, but during the process, it was hurtful. It felt hurtful. Like when I had seen some of these people daily, I worked with some people or just in general, and I think it was hurtful and it made me just, it made me mad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at that time when you're going through that you know, delicate process, anything that makes you mad or sad, it just amplifies everything. So I think that was, that was hard. My advice to people is even if you don't know what to say, even if you have a huge fear of death and dying, just say something, even if it's, I'm sorry, I'm here. Or I do this sometimes. It's just like, I don't know what to say. I know this sucks. It's gonna suck, but I'm here. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes words are so, people mean well. And I know they, and they mean well, but like, what is that gonna do? Sometimes it's just like, okay. And even when I'm writing sympathy cards or talking to people, I just try to be really honest, like this sucks and I'm sorry. And I think that is just, I'd rather people be super honest than just fluffy words than, you know, but again, anything is better than nothing in my book because yeah. I've been on the flip side where there's been nothing and that just hurt more. Yeah. 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 I do think the this sucks and it's going to just suck for a while. I had a cousin who said that to me who had lost their um, mom in high school and I, it really resonated and was really helpful. And it felt more like honest than what a lot of people were saying. And when you go through something like this, honesty becomes really important to you because, or it did for me at least, it's like, I don't have time for any like nonsense. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that they said that to me. It's like, yes, it's terrible. They, I, you see me and you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just nice to feel validated, like your feelings matter. And to your point about honesty, I agree. When my mom was sick, I had a friend, I still have a friend, <laughs> but her parents had passed away and she was really, really super helpful. And she made me feel like I was less crazy because you're going through this horrible thing and you don't want to see the person you love suffer, but you don't want them to die. But at a certain point, you just want their suffering to end and mm -hmm. you feel horrible wanting that because then you know what that means. That means they're not going to be here. And my friend who had gone through similar things with her parents, she kind of helped me feel like this was normal. And it made mm -hmm. me feel less crazy and less like a bad daughter. Because there's certain points where you just feel like a horrible person. Like, I don't want my mom to die, but I also don't want her to struggle and suffer and not be the person that she doesn't want to be by being here. So right. it was really helpful, again, with friends and family who had gone through things to help you validate your experiences and your feelings. Otherwise, that, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that. It really does. And it just felt, I felt guilty about those wanting, that feeling about wanting her to be happy and to move on if that's what needed to happen. Right. And I think like for any listeners who have seen someone in hospice dying, like it's not, it, it's so much emotionally to watch someone like die, but then for the person who like, as they're transitioning, like it is like my dad said to me once, he was like, am I an invalid? And I was like, no, no, no. And I knew that was like his worst fear. And so I was like, okay, this is miserable for him. And he was so prideful 
And so the having to like get help walking and then just all of these things, it's like your bodily functions. It just, he didn't want that. And so we were like, okay, how do we like make this as comfortable as possible? And you get to a point where like, how do we make this like, it's okay. And I don't know if you, and the hospice you used there, like tell them it's okay. And at first you're like, it's not like, I can't believe you would ask me to say that, but then you get to a point where you tell them, no, this is okay. And we'll be okay, which is crazy, but your brain makes it work. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the transition and the deterioration from seeing her healthy to sick is torture. It torture. Yeah. It's torture for yeah for the people involved, the torture for her. And again, she was very prideful too. She, you know, was resistant for going into the hospital bed. And, you know, she resisted a lot of things for a little while because, you know, it's pride and it's also your life. I think when you then accept it, you realize you're accepting your mortality and you're accepting the end that's going to come. So I think she fought it for a while, but then eventually I think you get to the point where it's okay. You realize it's okay. Not that you give up. There's, I don't love, I hate the giving up winning kind of mentality. I do too. Hate I it. hate it. I really do. But I think she just, the will was lost, but she wasn't, the will wasn't there anymore because she knew that it was, you know, at the end. And I think to your point, it's not a life that they want. And I think you, we do have to say it's okay. They have to say it's okay. I don't mean, we didn't have a great experience with our hospice, I have to say. I think a lot of it was just trying to figure it out on our own. And I think that's why looking back now in hindsight, I wish there were things that we were advised on, things that I knew, the things that I know now about saying it's okay. I think those things just came naturally during the course of you know the two or three months that she was really declining. But I wish we had a little bit more guidance on that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just hard to see somebody you love transition and decline. And sometimes it's hard to remember the before. Sometimes my brain gets stuck in her just being sick and just remembering those moments. Yeah. And they were precious, but sometimes it's hard to remember before she was sick. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's tricky. Like I always have to, you know, I have pictures around to remind myself of happy, good times. But I think sometimes when you go through a sickness, it is very traumatic. Seeing the person you love healthy and happy to a complete shadow of who they used to be. It's, mm-hmm. it's traumatic. Absolutely. And I don't know if you had this. We had a ton of people, people from me, talk about this on the podcast because I talk about it all the time because it was really touching for me that people came in from all over the world to say goodbye to him, his like close friends. And we have a huge family. So like a lot of family was coming and my aunt was like, do you feel like you're getting the time you need? And I was like, that's not him anymore. And like, yes, where you're spending time together, but the dad who I had that relationship with and loved with that personality and that spirit, it's not him anymore. And it's really bizarre to watch someone you love go through it. But I have found for me the old pictures, the stories and video. And so like, even if it's like live photos, but I would encourage people listening to just take videos of people you love. And like, it doesn't have to be creepy because people take videos of like everything. But like, I feel like one of the first things to go is mannerisms and laugh and tone of voice of what you remember. So I feel like I'm hoarding all of these things. No, I think it's a good idea, especially with videos. I mean, 
I know this seems crazy, but 2012, like I think that I was still relatively new to the iPhone. I was a little doctor. So I don't really have that many videos. Like we have our wedding video and we have like some stuff, but I can't say I have a lot of videos. So I highly encourage people to take video, obviously lots of photos. The one thing that I really hold dearly is I saved all the voicemails my mom and my parents left me, at least in the like the two, three years of her sickness. And when we knew she was going to pass, I tried to hoard as much as possible. So on my, my birthday, I listened to this one recording that they left me for my birthday one year. And it's a tradition now that I listen to it because you don't realize how special and important something is when it happens all the time. You take it for granted. They would call me every year on my birthday at the exact moment that I was born. And they would either call, like talk to me, although it was early in the morning. So usually I would never answer, but a message. And I was so grateful that I had kept one of them. So every year I listened to it. So it's so important to keep these, you know, as much as you can, like, if you have the opportunity to video, take video, pictures, any kind of thing to hold on to the person to, for it to be tangible. Because like you said, their essence kind of slowly goes, like mm-hmm. their personality changes, their voice changes. And then at a certain point, it, can, it doesn't happen to everybody. But a couple of days before she passed away, she was really unconscious. So yeah. it could happen and you don't know when it's going to happen. And they are a different person. You know, she, she was definitely a different person towards the end. So if you know and you have the opportunity, if somebody's sick, do as much as you can while they're still feeling really good. So I definitely encourage that and yeah. try to overcome the fears of thinking, I'm doing this because I know this person's going to be, you know, dead in a couple of months, years, whatever it is. Just try to get over that fear of that thought and just do it because your future self is going to thank you. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that I didn't do because I just didn't want to go there because then in my mind, then, oh, she's going to be dead. But yeah. I think I wish I had kind of overcome that fear to have a little bit more of those, you know, tactile videos, memories, conversations we didn't have. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. And there's all these like great services now that you can get stories of family history and all of that stuff. I realized like a week or two before he died, he was like on painkillers. My family had done all of this really cool stuff. And like my grandpa was a Broadway producer and my dad worked for him and they had all these like crazy stories, like lived in London and like whatever. And I realized I was asking my dad the story of the show my grandpa produced, which was Man of La Mancha. And of like, yeah, and how that happened. And he was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. I was like, the story's gone. And yeah. so if there's ways you can interview people, even if they're not sick, that's something I would suggest to the audience. And I think there's so many great ways that you can do that now. Yeah, there's really great services now. And again, I'm all about pre-planning and pre-thinking for the future. And legacy is a huge part of what I'm about, what I do, what I help people think about. Because like I said, when my mom passed away, I I kind of was searching for all those meanings and all like legacy stories, anything about her. Because again, there was a lot of stuff about my family that we didn't really talk about. Mm -hmm. So after she passed away, I threw myself into like the family tree, thinking I was going to get answers in the family tree. And it was fascinating. I really didn't get the answers I was looking for. 
But I think if we start early now with legacy projects and all these different things that are available to us, there's so many things like online now, books that people can write. You can hire somebody to interview you and write your own autobiography, which I think is amazing. I just found out there's several services about it. And I just, I love that idea because then stories are going to be lost if we don't pass them down or tell people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so sad because I feel like there's so much opportunity to know so much more about our family that really connects us for the future. So I love the idea of starting these things now. And like I had mentioned, I'm a scrapbooker and I try to like, you know, keep track of things that I do, events that I used to go to when we had real events, document things. And I think I've gotten bad over the last few years, but it, it, it has really, it's really important to do that. I think for me and my legacy. So yeah, I think the earlier we can start, the better. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Is there, I feel like we've covered so much in this conversation just like really flowed, but is there anything else, advice that you want to give people? This was such a great conversation. And I'm so excited. We're doing Instagram live in a few weeks so we can talk again. I know, I'm excited. We're going to continue this conversation. It's hard to know more. I feel like I could talk about this for hours. Like I really can. And I think once I start talking about it, it just flows. A lot of times I don't talk about my story, about what I went through. And I, like I mentioned in the beginning, we have a family friend who's going through something. So my husband and I have been talking a lot about like their experience, our experience. And sometimes he'll bring up something and I'm just like, oh, I, I just can't think about this. I can't talk about it right now. Like it just, like you said, it brings up feelings. So like sometimes it's okay not to talk about it. Sometimes like you should talk about it. I think one thing that we had talked about on another conversation is just sometimes you can go around grief mm -hmm. and you don't go through it. And I think that is really important to notice. And I think one thing that happened to me in the beginning, I think there was a lot of times I didn't want to do anything and that was fine. And then there was a time where I wanted to just have tons of distractions and do all the things so I wouldn't have to be alone and I wouldn't have to think about things. And I think that gets old too and I mm -hmm. think sometimes you just need to be alone with yourself you need to think about things you need to really process the grief you went through the experience and that's not saying just writing in a journal that's going to solve your problems I think it's a it's a journey it's going to take time but I think we need to go through the pain of it and as sucky as it is like we talked about I think trying to go around it is not healthy and I mean, there were ways that I feel like I coped that were not healthy. I think I relied on like food. <laughs> I relied on alcohol. Like I relied on those things that numbed everything that really helped comfort me and also numb the pain. But I think it was really important eventually to strip those things away because I realized those were just numbing the process. And it really was, they weren't helping me get through it. And I think it was just really just a crutch. And once I decided, you know, I mean, food, food's a challenge. I love food. But I think when you, I was drinking less and just using that as a comfort, once I started, you know, taking that out and just really feeling what I was feeling, I think it helped me move through the pain. And I think we need to do that as uncomfortable as it is. I think we need to find comfort in the discomfort. And I know that just sounds like that doesn't make sense, but I am, I've been trying over the last few years to get un get comfortable being uncomfortable because there's a lot of uncomfortness in this whole process. Yeah. And if you spend the time 
earlier to be uncomfortable, it helps down the road, which is like, no one wants to hear that, but it's really, there's not an easy way through it. And I think understanding that for those listening, I know we both understand, but that like you have to spend the time to just be like sad and these feelings of like despair and like some days you can't even get out of bed or like you went out and went on a walk and like that's enough like that's okay and if we can all learn to give ourselves like the grace period to deal with these hard things and to think about them and like be alone with these thoughts like or share memories like whatever works for different people that like it goes so far for like your long-term relationship with grief because it's like a new part of you that's going to be with you forever I think giving yourself the grace is so important and like like I said we don't really talk about grief or death so we don't really know sometimes how to handle it so we think we should be doing something we think we should be at this point or people you know tell us like are you feeling better yet or they just pretend that it's it's done and I yeah. think we just give ourselves the time and the grace. And just like you said, if you took a walk today, if you got out of bed, that's that's enough. Like just showing up and just being alive and present and just being there is enough. I just, mm-hmm. I, as a person who's very much into productivity and perfectionism here, it's, <laughs> it's hard sometimes because I felt like I was never doing enough. I felt like, oh, I'm here and she's not. Some There was a lot of survivor guilt in a way sometimes. Mm-hmm. About, she's not here. I'm here. I'm living. Or there was, there's not usually a day that doesn't go by. I don't think about her. But on some rare occasions, if I don't think about her, and then I realized, oh my God, I didn't think about her. Then I feel a little bit guilty about it. Yeah. And it's just sometimes it catches up with you, just like the guilt that you don't expect. And even on anniversaries and birthdays, I mean, they're, they're tough. They are tough, but then over time, they get a little bit easier. And then like this past Jan, just a couple of weeks ago was my mom's birthday and, and it wasn't as bad as it used to be. And then I felt bad. I'm like, well, why isn't this as bad? Why don't I feel as sad? And, you know, as time goes by and you have more perspective and the more I learn and the more I believe, the more I see, I feel that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm growing. My perspectives have changed. This doesn't mean I don't miss her any less. But I just, there is that guilt sometimes. Do you feel that guilt sometimes about things? I do. And it's this weird thing when you like start to be okay again. Because for, I mean, it hasn't been even two years yet. April is two years. But I talk about grief often (laughs) and like I think that that's really helpful and I'm in therapy and I'm definitely spending the time to feel whatever feelings come up and then there's like new ones that surprise me and I'm like why I thought I was like doing a good job like why is this happening and I think for me what I've found in a few anniversaries and milestone events that I've had since he died is that the lead up is really, really bad. And then the actual day I'm like, oh, I'm okay. I can do this. But the lead up, I'm angry. I'm sad. I am anxious. We have a big family. I mentioned a lot of us are very, very close. And the first anniversary of his death was like April when the coronavirus started. So it was like a few weeks into like lockdown. 
And I had thought we were going to all be together at my cousin's place at state. Like it was going to be so nice to be together. And like he loved all of us being together. And then I was like alone in my apartment in New York. And the lead up to that was like very, very anxiety producing. And it was awful, frankly. But then the actual day I went on like a long walk. I talked on the phone to a lot of people and I was okay. And then like his birthday there's been two birthdays the the lead up for me is really bad and like the father's day leave I was like what are we gonna do like what's it gonna be like and the anxiety especially earlier on is like am I gonna be okay and you know you are but like until you are like for me anyway like I get anxious so I'm the same way the anticipation of it and it's interesting because my mom died in October. So every fall, and I've loved fall, I used to really love it. But right when September rolls around, there's something that internally happens where I don't know if it's what it is, but I have a feeling it's just my my mental, everything changes because I know October's coming. And that's just, you know, like the leaves change. Everything reminds me of the season of when she died. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that anticipation of it approaching and you're like, okay, what are we gonna do this year? How are we going to make it, you know, memorable? And like, there's so much pressure, at least I put on myself, like, how are we going to do this to honor her? And then when we get to the day, I just decided just to, let's see just how it goes. Let's just be in the flow and just let it happen and try not to overthink it. But I have a tendency to be like, be overthinking. I overthink things. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I think the anxiety of just leading up to it is the worst. And usually the day is just what it's going to be. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the anxiety, and I think that's just a lot of things. Like we get anxious about a lot of things we do, but then when we actually do it, (laughs) you know, I'm like that all the time. And I'm just like, oh, why didn't I just do it and not be afraid, you know? And that's, again, some of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is trying to help people overcome their fears about death and dying by helping them think about it. So then they can live fuller lives by not having it hang over their heads. I mean, it's hard not to have mortality hang over your head, but if you feel like you have a little bit of an idea of what you want and to talk about it, then I think it helps free people of those burdens and those fears. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the anxiety of anticipation is worse than the actual doing. Yeah. And it's funny you're using the word anticipation because that's what he always, my dad always used to talk about when we would talk about romance, like my friends and I would like always go out there and like my cousins I have a bunch of cousins around the same age and he would say there's like no anticipation and like he was like a big proponent of like long distance relationships he's like then you have the anticipation and you see each other and it's wonderful and you have your own life so it's so funny that that's the word that you picked (laughs) I think there's something in that I feel like he's in this conversation right now in spirit I feel like there's a lot of things happen by coincidence and I am a proponent in, you know, synchronicity and that connection. So yeah. I think he's here and I think that he kind of inspired me to use that word. So Yes, yes yeah. I think so too. So I think for everyone listening, it's so terrible. It gets better. Like the, it's, I don't know. That's, I don't know. It takes time. It really does. There's moments where I'm okay. And then there's moments where I'm not okay. And it just kind of hits you out of the blue and stops you in your tracks. But it's part of me now. It's part of my life. Mm -hmm. It's helped me find my purpose. So I don't feel like 
not that it was in vain. I feel like we're all going to die. And I just feel like I'm very grateful to the experience of being there and being witness to it and having gone through it to be where I am right now. So I try Mm -hmm. to look back at it in reverence because it really has made me the person that I am. And I think it's made me stronger. So that's one sometimes why I, it's hard to look back because I'm a different person now. Mm-hmm. So looking back, it just, it's, it's hard sometimes, it, but it makes me realize where I've been and where I, and where I've come to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is very true. It changes us and helps us find this thing within us that we both went through it and we're like, this is terrible the way that this happens. Like we must do something about it. <laughs> like, I'm a doer. I, so I feel like I, I have to, I, yeah. I it took a while to figure out that I wanted to do something, but I'm a doer. I'm a fixer. So that it's not a surprise that I've been called to this work after this yeah. experience to help yeah. other people, to help them. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's end there. This was such a great conversation. I'm so excited for our live on the 13th at is it what time? 3, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard. So tune in. Where should people find you online and where can they find the live? Sure. Um, on Instagram and my handle is bringing death into life. And we'll be chatting together about love, loss, all in between. And it's a special Galentine's Day episode. So it's how can you support your friends during a really hard time? Yeah. And I'm so excited. And if people want to get in touch with you about services and any of the work you do, is Instagram the best place to do that? Or do you want them to email you or what's the best? Instagram is great. I'm usually on there all the time. They can find me on my website, Bringing Death Into Life. I'm on all social platforms. I really enjoy it. It's a good creative outlet. So you can find me on any one of them, except I don't tweet. So not on Twitter. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation today. Me too. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find us online at thegriefcoach.co and on social at the underscore grief coach. And if you enjoyed this episode, please write a nice review on Apple Podcasts and help other people looking for this type of content find it. Talk to you soon.